Philbert's asking, are there any of these budget brand boats that you think are actually putting out a good product? Philbert, thank you for the question. Thank you for subscribing. Now, when it comes to a budget boat, there's a lot to discuss here. Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive, like, I, I think what I really need to do is actually, like, break this down by, like, money and different types of boats. But for right now, this won't be an exhaustive one. This will just be some of the brands that I think about and, like, you know, some of the different types of boats. So, first of all, you need to figure out what your budget is. And then second of all, you need to figure out what you want to do on the water. For this, I'm going to be talking about like newer boats. So they're all going to be around the same price point as far as newer boats. Some of the other like very, very cheap boats, I'm probably not even going to mention because um, I just wouldn't buy them. And I don't think that they're that great of a product. I think that they serve a purpose for getting people into the into boating. And that like if you have never owned a boat before and you don't know if you really want to get in, into boating, that you would buy one of these really, 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 really cheap boats that are brand new. And then that way you might have the ability to get out of it or you don't concern yourself as much with damaging it because it was so cheap. But as far as like, you know, where the line is for quality and price, it's a fine line. So for like a bass boat, what I'm going to be looking for is going to be like a Skeeter or a Ranger. Nitros are all right. I'm not the biggest like bass boat person. I don't know all the different bass boat brands or all of them. I think Lowe makes a pretty good bass boat. I don't really know as far as a price point, but I know as far as a product wise, Skeeter is super underrated, in my opinion. Uh, they've always been a really, really good boat. Um, so I'm going to be looking for either a Ranger or a Skeeter. I think it's a good product. When it comes to a flats boat, low-key, I'm looking for a Dolphin. I think that you can find a cheap Dolphin out there, and I think that they are also um, like brand new. They are on the pricier end, but for the budget, like... For what you pay for like a very budget brand type of flats boat, I think you can find like a one or two or three year old dolphin or um, something like that. If you're looking for a Hughes or a Maverick or something like that or a Hell's Bay, those are all going to be way up there. I'm not a big fan of the Makos, um, but I would probably I would probably take a Mako for a flats boat. Another one like center consoles. So Carolina Skiff is, is good. Mako is good. And um, the, the best, I think the most underrated for a center console is going to be a Dusky. Honestly, when it comes to a budget boat, like the problem with the budget boat and saying budget boat is that you're looking at a number, like a price point, and then like these budget boats that make a poor boat like a badly put together boat and then try and deck it out with more like frills. So they've got like this cheaply made boat, but they try and deck it out with all these lights and all these, you know, pumps and all these electronics and all this other upgraded accessories. But the boat itself is not that good. I would rather buy like a decent hull and then you can deck it out as you go on later on down the road. And that's why I always push a Dusky because a Dusky is like highly underrated. I mean, 
They ride phenomenal. They're dry. They are super cost effective. And I mean, it's a solid quality boat. So I'm looking for a Dusky. Carolina Skiff, same thing. They're really stripped down. Um, it's a raw stripped down boat for, but for like a fishing and center console, I mean, it's not a bad riding boat. Mako is on the list just because, um, price point wise, um, they're owned by Bass Pro. So they come in at that price point that really makes them, you know, accessible budget wise. And then for like a bow rider, I'm looking at like a chaparral, uh, a four winds, um, and even a rinker, like my first boat was a rinker and they still make, you know, it's, it's not the best boat, but I think it's a good boat and, um, it's got a good ride. It's versatile. It's not, you know, super expensive. Some of the chaparrales and the four winds are, but they do have some models that are cheaper. Also, I'd probably throw Key West in there as a, like, um, you know, they're like flats boat and their center console. I know there are some people who have had some bad experiences. I worked at a Key West dealer and, um, some of the models are not that bad, but some of the models aren't the greatest. But when you talk about these small ones, like the flats boats and the, um, smaller ones, I'm going with uh, Key West. I forgot to put them in there. And then like a bay boat, I'm probably looking again. I'm looking for a Skeeter, you know, Carolina skiff. They, they make a decent bay boat. I think that's kind of my list as far as those. And it's kind of different to think of like, okay, what's a budget boat and what's like a mid tier boat. And then like, what's top of the line. So, you know, I throw dolphin in there, but dolphins like closer to the top of the line. But you know, I've seen a dolphin for in the thirties for like a 2020 or something like that. So I would, I would consider buying that. than I would a brand new boat. That's, that's not going to be that good. Dead feet wants to know what are your thoughts on Riballo? And I would say Riballo is like just a step above the budget boat. I think that their price point is pretty good, but I think that they um, are more like, you know, probably closer to a mid tier type of boat as far as like a production line boat, they're good. They're laid out nice. The quality is not the greatest, but it's not bad. It's a good, um, solid boat. So I think that that's a good brand. They hold their value decently. And I think they have a, a, a good array of models as far as like, you know, their deep V's to some of their smaller stuff. So I got nothing bad to say about Riballos. I, I like them. Um, low Tide, I would like to know your opinion about Cobia, Sea Hunt, and Sportsman. So I don't really know what I'm going to go with first. Sportsman's last. That for me, Sportsman is the last pick. Cobia and Sea Hunt, again, I would call them like mid-tier. They both make a good boat. Sea uh, Hunt is probably more budget-friendly. And Cobia is probably a little bit better quality. So I'd probably go Cobia, Sea Hunt, and then Sportsman. They're both all good center consoles, offshore, good setup for fishing. Um, Sportsman's probably the more budget side. And again, Cobia is probably towards the other end of it. I think we really need to kind of break this down. Maybe I need to make a chart of like, you know, based on the price what's considered budget and then quality mid tier quality top of the line and quality. That's a whole nother video though. RW landscaping. What do you think about McKeecraft 28? So 
Huge McKee Craft fan. Um, McKee Crafts make a really, really good boat. I would I would take a like a, a key craft. The McKee Craft small boats are like phenomenal. Some of their little stuff, though, and even the real little stuff like the 13s and stuff. The 13s, 15s. That's what everybody wants for the bully netter boats. So, um, I think McKee Craft's a good solid boat. The 28, I'm not as familiar with that model. Some of their bigger stuff, I don't have an extensive experience with. But as far as a brand, McKeecraft will definitely hold their value. They're solid, um, very good build quality. The packaging on the boat is going to be dependent on you know who bought it brand new, how they set the boat up, and what they wanted in it. But big fan of McKeecraft. And, um, I think a 28, yeah, if, if you're like looking for one, then I would go for it. I don't think you're going to have any like regrets about it. I, I'm a fan of McKee craft. So a little bias. If you ask me catamaran, catamaran questions, that's a whole different thing. Cause I'm not a cat guy. So, um, Johnny dime, do you like the Grady white boats? You said you had to put them on the list, but are they a good boat? And do you like them? So Grady White talking about boats that hold their value. I put them on the list. I had to put them on the list because they do hold their value. It's a good solid brand for me. Um, it, it wasn't until recently that Grady White started like having you know colors on their boat. They used to always be this you know cream off white type of color. They're set up pretty nice depending on the model. You know some of the models I'm not the biggest fan. Like you know some of the Cuddy Cabin stuff, not the biggest fan of them. But as far as their center consoles and some of their larger stuffs that do have the cutties, they hold their value. And the demographic that Grady White is really goes for is like the retired community. Um, in my opinion, they're slower. They're usually set up really, really well. And they have a really nice ride that's like it's a super solid boat. But it is like a slower boat that is just, you know, it's more like a tank in the water. Yeah, I they hold their value for that exact reason because it is more towards like a specific demographic, usually retired um, people that makes it hold its value so much because it, it it's utilized quality and, you know, the, the build of it being super solid and not about speed and, over it's more about amenities. I mean, they deck them out with amenities and and get rid of the speed and the quickness to them. They all come with Yamahas. Yeah, that's just the best way to say it. Old, reliable, solid. Not really the biggest fan, mainly because I I do still like you know some of the quicker stuff. But um, I I think they're a good boat. Like if you just want a solid, reliable boat and you don't mind the price point because they do hold their price. I mean, they are you know, more of the top, top end of, of the price point. But again, they, they deck them out with a lot of amenities and, um, you know, accessories and stuff like that. BGA transportation corporation. Can't believe you never mentioned Steigercraft over a Parker. Maybe you're not very familiar with them because you're South Florida. Let us know. So I'm a Steigercraft fan. I think Steigercraft makes good. It is a northern boat. It's not really something for down here. Again, a lot of these pilot house style boats are not really that good and not you know popular in South Florida because it's so hot out. Like you know that is really meant for more 
rougher water and cold water where you're up in the pilot house and you've got long runs to make stuff. It's a, it's more of a northern boat, but super solid boat, really, really good quality build. Um, a lot of them that I have seen have been decked out pretty nicely. Um, the back of them is super set up for fishing. Like it's, it's a fishing tank. So for all the Steigercrafts that I've been on, I'm a fan for sure. The over a Parker, I think that because Parker also serves the center console and the, um, you know, the amount of boats that they make is I think more, they're more popular, especially down here. I mean, the Parker factory is down here. So, um, I think that's what makes them more popular. Steiger crafts hold their value. So I can't say that, you know, Parker holds its value more, but as far as like narrowing it down to a list, that was just what I could do, but definitely a huge fan of the Steiger craft. I know them. I'm not, you know, an expert on a Steiger craft, but, um, I definitely, definitely am a fan of them. I would, I don't know if I would take a Steigercraft over a Parker, but again, where I live, you know, I'm not into the pilot house and I don't know that much about their center consoles. I'm just pulling it up right here. So the Steigercraft, yeah, I do not know anything about their 21, the 23, their center console models. I don't know that much about them. I've only been in like the pilot house ones. So that's probably another thing. I bet if I got a chance to go on the center console Steigercrafts, I'd probably be a fan because the hulls got to be very, very similar just with some differences in weight distribution. AS Crazy, I'm really interested in fuel additive content, um, specifically Yamaha's Ring Free. I'm in the PNW and every mechanic here swears it's the bomb. Let us know your opinion, please. Um, dude, Ring free is phenomenal. Like it's a little more expensive than some of the other stuff, but hundred percent. Like if you run ring free on the regular, the, the inside of your fuel system is going to be outstanding. Same thing for the inside of your engine, cylinder walls, piston rings, the valves, like ring free is a really, really good product. I would definitely recommend it. It is a little pricey depending on how much fuel you burn, but it's well worth it. Um, Quicksilver quick clean is also really, really good. It's way cheaper. Uh, not the biggest fan of seafoam just because it's not, you know, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of seafoam. So, so I can just leave it at that. I think that Quicksilver and the ring free are, are just the, the best ones. So those are the ones that I've used the most of. So yeah, if, if you're considering it, I would say, I would say use ring free. It cleans everything i mean really really well so definitely i'm a doofus one thing i wish i had known about older boats was anything 15 to 20 years old is probably going to need the fuel tank replaced bought a nice clean older boat and turns out the fuel tank was pretty deteriorated yeah that is something that you definitely want to check out when buying an older boat yeah as soon as you pass the 20 year range depending on the the make the model and the type of fuel tank um, yeah, fuel tanks are on the list of something to check. 
And definitely you want to make sure that it's not going to be a problem because that's a big hit. If you got to replace a fuel tank, you know, that's not just a, oh, this is going to cost me two grand. That's a five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 repair, depending on the boat, the access, the size of the tank, and all the other things that's got to come apart to get into it. So when you start talking about like especially center consoles where you got to take the center console out, you got to take the deck up, you got to pull this tank out, replace all the hoses. Um, definitely that can that can change the amount of a boat. Like if you buy a boat for say forty grand, and then next thing you know you got to spend ten fifteen thousand dollars to replace the fuel tank, like that is a huge huge hit because if you were looking at it like that, you might as well look at your budget being $55,000 and go buy a different boat. So definitely, you definitely got to check out fuel tanks, you know, transoms and, and, um, fuel tanks, checking out stringers. Most of the stringers these days are pretty good. Like string checking stringers is really more for like older stuff where you've got, you know, wood coring and stuff that where it rots. But a lot of the new boats, you don't see as much stringer trouble as you used to. David, what about using non-ethanol gas? Can sitting for a while, will that hurt the engine? So non-ethanol gas is going to have a way higher shelf life than ethanol. I mean, if you use ethanol and you let it sit, you're asking for problems. Even if it's only like two, three months, like that could potentially be a problem depending on where you're at and you know how much ethanol the mix was and other things like that. I would not advise letting ethanol sit. If you're going to use ethanol, burn it. And then letting non-ethanol sit, generally you should treat it if it's going to be more than like four, five, six months. But non-ethanol is way more durable. So I've seen non-ethanol tanks where someone has untreated non-ethanol fuel, lets it sit for over a year and has no problem. I'm not saying that you should go do that, but I'm saying that it, it is way more durable because it doesn't break down as ethanol does. So the complications that you're going to have with non-ethanol are going to be way less depending on how long you set to let the boat sit. I would also even consider, you know, you could do other things like, you know, a fuel additive is going to be number one. You could add a little bit of oil to the fuel that will help, you know, get everything going. Like if you, run a little bit of oil in your fuel and then run that through the engine. As soon as the gas evaporates, all that oil is going to be left inside the fuel system, which is going to help prevent you from having a problem. So stuff like that is, you know, something that you could do, but yeah, do not let ethanol sit. It, it's not going to hurt anything to let the non-ethanol sit again, depending on how long you let it sit. Obviously you, you shouldn't let anything sit for, you know, more than a year, but, um, you know, sometimes you have to, and if you are going to let it sit for that long, you need to treat everything, treat the fuel, flush and fog the engine and, um, put it away clean and you won't have any problems. But, um, yeah, if you let it sit for too long, it's probably going to be a problem. Looks like this is a long one at Abbey normal garage says I'm strictly a two stroke person. So I'm biased. However, I am 100% convinced that two-stroke oil is the best additive you can add. When I worked at Dad's dealership, we had a guy with a 90 Nissan TLDI. He had several electric pumps replaced under warranty each time we picked the bow up, the boat up, and took several gallons out and had no water. 
We told him try adding one ounce per gallon to the tank. He never had an issue after. I've left gas in my 79 runabout with a tower of power over the winter and after a quick check for water and the fuel, fires right up. Last example we used to sell a ton of four-stroke sixes to sailboaters and a lot of those guys would store the motor for long periods without draining the fuel. That's terrible. We would we had them come in batches where the ethanol, I guess, absorbed the water in the air and left the carbs caked in corrosion when the fuel evaporated. They took the tank home to refill, so the tanks usually didn't have water in them. I had suggested to a few that couldn't get in the habit of draining the carb when finished to add an ounce or two per gallon. They had a lot less problems from that point forward. So there you go. Point in case, same thing like we were just saying about, you know, putting a little bit of oil in the fuel, if you're going to let it sit and running that through the engine, like you're saying, when the gas evaporates, that oil is going to be left on everything in there. So it's going to help you with your, you know, the needles and the carbs, injectors, the fuel pumps, um, everything in the fuel system. It's going to help lubricate everything. So if you're going to let it sit, definitely. I mean, the two-stroke thing, you could really what you can do is just take an ex- accessory tank, hook it up to the engine, you know, right where your water separator is, just pull it from the water separator and hook it to the external tank and run your, you know, oil mixture in that or a treated fuel does the same thing, but two stroke oil, oil is something. It's gotta be something. Brim Bodream, love your videos. I have an idea. What about having an extra tank of non-ethanol alkylate gas and you switch over to this some five minutes before you stop the motors Alkalite gas has very good long storage capabilities. I only use alkalate gas for my sm- small engines like mower, chainsaws, etc. You can buy them pre-mixed with oil for two-stroke or pure for four-stroke. Next boating season, we have a brand new Honda BF60 replacing an old two-stroke 50-horsepower Johnson. I think I follow your recommendation installing water separator. That's a really good thing. Definitely, you want a water separator, even though we have a 24-liter portable tank, fuel tank, and consider having only alkylate in the 12 liter spare tank and have a fuel switch convenient place, conveniently placed so I can have an easy routine that allows me to end the boat trips with pure alkylate fuel in the motor fuel system. At least when I'm leaving the boat for a week or more, greetings from Osseo, Norway. Well, greetings, Brim. Um, yeah, I don't know that much about alkylate. I've heard of a, there's a few different types of like alternative fuels that have additives to them. Most of them are like, you know, some sort of oil based, but at the same time, it's not really like, you know, two stroke oil, even though two stroke oil is probably, you know, it's going to be really, really good. But as far as like biodegradableness and, um, you know, environmental type stuff, it's probably not the best. So yeah, if you can, you know, end your trips on something like that and running a treated fuel in the into your fuel system when you the last time you use the boat, then it's going to leave all that treated fuel in the system. Especially if you got a carburetor, like if you got something smaller, your you said a BF60, so that's that's not a carburetor, but um yeah, you definitely want to have some sort of treatment in there because that's going to, it's going to preserve it. Fuels, you know, hard on the engine, especially when it sits, it does degrade. So 
Um, yeah, I'm all about it. I, again, I don't know much about the alkylate, but I'll have to check it out. I'm sure it's, you know, some sort of a, you know, fuel alternative that has, you know, a, a longer shelf life type of properties to it. Cole Swagger, I've got a 90s model Yamaha that recently ate something on the bottom cylinder. Would a rebuild be worth it or get a new motor? Okay, so this one's going to be, there's a lot of variables here. So you're talking about a 90s. Let's just say that it's a 94, and so it's 30 years old, just for easy number's sake. So on a 30-year-old engine, like, one, where is the engine being used? So that's the first question, because that's going to tell you a lot about the components. Because if you're rebuilding it, you've got, 30-year-old components still on the engine. And that's kind of where it comes into making a decision. So you want to look at everything. Look at the trim motor. Look at the stator. Look at the um, carburetors. Look at um, the lower unit. Look at the midsection. Look at, uh, what else? Flywheel, just the starter. Everything on the engine, you want to look at it and see what kind of condition it is in. If it's all cake with salt, if it's all rusty, if it's all dry, the grease hasn't been put on anything, you haven't oiled like the throttle linkages or any of that stuff, the oil pump's all rusty, um, you know, look at all that stuff. If everything's in really good condition, like the trim unit looks good, you know, everything's been lubed, corrosion protected, the starter looks good, the, the stator looks good. If everything looks good and like, you know, it's been taken care of, then you probably have, you know, it's a good engine. And now you just need to look at the, the power head issue. You know, you could either rebuild it or put a new power head on there. Those are kind of the two options. So do you know anybody that can rebuild the engine or can you rebuild the engine yourself? And if you don't have one of these two, how much does it cost to get a new power head? And then is the power head available? Like, are the parts to do the rebuild available? There's a lot of things that you need to consider there. And then, like, they need to be written down and then start tacking them up to see, you know, what's that price there. And also, how long is it going to take? So if it's going to take you six months to kind of figure this whole deal out and get all this stuff together by ordering the parts and buying everything and getting the guy to come work on it or you work on it, um, that's going to play a factor, too. And when you start adding all that stuff up, that's what you're looking at first or those kinds of things and comparing that price to buying a brand new one. So um, once you tack all that stuff up, you just don't want to put all this work into, and also the lower unit. You want to make sure the lower unit's good because if, if you put all this money into doing a rebuild or replacing the power head, and then now all of a sudden the lower unit blows up or you got to buy a trim unit or the stator goes, the starter goes, like all these other components start failing because they're, you know, 30 years old, then it's probably not worth it because each time one of those components fail, that means the boat's down. So now, you, you know, you go to use the boat, this part fails, you don't get to use the boat when you wanted to use it, and then you, then when you come back, you fix it, then you take it back out, and then the next part fails, you don't get to use the boat, you bring it back, and then you, you know, you get in this big giant loop, just like um, our other buddy was talking about the other day about every time he fixes something, something else breaks. So you don't want to get stuck in that loop because in the end, 
when you count up everything that you had to buy and replace and all the time it was down, it might just be worth buying a new one or even finding a replacement, buying a used engine and putting that on there. So you kind of got to do some investigation, I guess I would say, and kind of figure out, you know, what exactly, you know, fits your situation. It would have been nice to see the horsepower on that because that would kind of let us know a little bit more about the situation. But um, M. Carrera asks, what's in average the hours that most outboards do before needing some kind of rebuild? I work with Twins Suzuki DF-150 AP. The starboard started to burn oil after 5,600 hours. Two pistons had low compression, new rings and valves working like new again. So kind of hard to say a specific, you know, like date or hours because newer engines like these four strokes and stuff, a lot of them really don't get to the point where they need like a rebuild. Most of them, the power heads themselves are usually fairly strong and they will outlive pretty much most of the components that are on the engine. You will usually get six, seven, 10,000 hours but you'll have to replace the lower unit that will blow up. You know, your trim unit will fail. You'll need a starter. You'll need a stator or an alternator and stuff like that happens. What really goes wrong a lot of times where you need like rebuilds, like what you're talking about. I wonder what happened here because it sounds like either you had, you know, either a low oil or you had an overheat that caused a problem or even a blockage in the cooling system that made one section run hotter. And that, you know, then made the failure of the actual powerhead. So I would say 6,000 is probably a good number to throw out there. But again, you know, the powerheads on the four strokes, they, they don't, they don't need as much maintenance as you would with a two stroke. A lot of times the two strokes, again, it would come down to lack of oil or an overheat something like that that would affect it um, or something got, getting off time using the wrong fuel and having, you know, a um, detonation or pre-ignition issue kind of going on and then having to rebuild a certain cylinder. Most of the powerheads are pretty maintenance-free, I guess you would say. A lot of them, you know, say that. We have a maintenance-free maintenance valve train. That's what a lot of the companies say. So, I don't know if there's really an hour point that would match an engine needing a rebuild. So I think I'm just going to kind of leave it at by case scenario. I think you can get thousands of hours out of them, especially if you're using like that. You, I work with twins DF one fifties and you got 5,600 hours on them. So like that's a, that's a long time for the average recreational person. They ain't going to get that. Like no one's, they're not putting 6,000 hours on there because they don't have the time, but you're using it every day, but using it every day is what's going to make it last longer. And you didn't have any problem with the port. So I'm guessing there might've been like an oil or an overheat issue. That is what caused that. And then you were able to catch it soon enough to be able to put the valves and the, um, the pistons in there to, you know, rebuild the engine. And now the thing will probably last another 6,000 hours. So, Suzuki's a good engine. I think that, um, especially that 150, 
it's just as reliable as the Yamaha 150. I like the Yamaha more than the Suzuki, but um, that's not to say that that Suzuki's not reliable. I mean, 6,000 hours, I think it's a good engine. So anything you guys want to talk about, uh, we appreciate all the comments. It's all kinds of good discussions. Hopefully this is helpful to you and you find it entertaining. If not, let me know in the comments. Let us know what you want to talk about. Email us at askbab at boardinggameboating.com. Check out our boaters program at boardinggameboating.com, and we'll see you guys next week.